the marinade. There's no O in marinade. Let's try it one more time. Ready? One, <laughs> two, three. <laughs> the marinade. Marrow. Marrow. Marinade. Bone marinade. The marinade. The marinade. With Jason Earl. to the marinade with Jason Earl, a free-flowing conversation about the creative process with creative people. This is episode 40, and our guest is Chad Cochran, better known as Cowtown Chad. Chad's a photographer and artist based in Cleveland, Ohio. If you regularly listen to this show, then you are likely familiar with his work. Chad has photographed our friends Sarah Shook, BJ Barham, Jim Lauderdale, Erica Blinn, Casey Anderson, and so many more, not to mention his incredible concert photography work. His latest project is I Didn't Want to Tell You. It's a photo essay, a portrait series, the objective of which is to further the necessary conversation around mental health. Mental health is a huge topic on this show for very personal reasons. Uh, Depression, anxiety, and the addiction that often comes with them run throughout my family. And they and their brethren also wreak havoc among artists of all types. Thus, this is a huge honor for me. I've long had admiration for Chad's work. To talk with him about a project of such importance is really quite a thrill. This one's a phone interview, y'all. We normally release these as website-exclusive episodes, but I made an exception in this case because I think the conversation around mental health is an essential one, and Chad and I went really deep, um, and I think Chad's project needs to be consumed as broadly as possible. So whatever we can do to spread the word, I wanted to make sure I did it on as broad a scale as possible. You can find Chad Cochran's piece, I Didn't Want to Tell You, in the fall wellness issue of No Depression magazine, which can be ordered at nodepression.com. And you can find more of Chad's work at cowtownchad.com. The song you're hearing in this episode is Lithium Blues by Hawks and Doves off the album From a White Hotel. It's provided courtesy of our good friend Casey Anderson. I just thought that it provided a really ideal soundtrack for this particular conversation around mental health. Everyone... My conversation with Chad Cochran. I had ice water in my veins and storm clouds raging around my skull. Now my hands, they won't stay steady and my senses have been dull. If you'd only ask me, I'd have told you everything I know. I ain't talking now, I'm just walking with the lithium blue. 
I can hear you fine. Can you right. hear me? Yeah, now nah, I got you. Hey, okay, Chad. Perfect. I think. How's it going? I'm good, man. Thank you so much for doing this. I am really. Oh, I really appreciate. It. Thank you. Yeah. Um. So, man, I am such a fan of your work. Just the first. Just I mean. To start off, um, I'm just a fan of your photography. I love following you on social media um, and seeing the gorgeous things you put together. And then this project, I didn't want to tell you, normalizing the conversation around mental health is one that for us in the marinade uh, and for me personally uh, really speaks to me and speaks to the spirit of this show. We talk about mental health I don't uh, almost every episode. I mean, and, and in fact, I've had, for example, Sarah Shook on our show um, and and a huge part of what we discussed is mental health, how to deal with it, how to get where you need to be. So thank you for this project and thank you for all the amazing work that you do. Absolutely. I really appreciate that. So can you, can you tell me how this all came about as I, as I read sort of the, the intro to this project um, it's been in the works for a long time all the way back to a specific moment in a hotel room that you that you recall. Can you kind of walk us through what that moment was like and and how this whole thing has evolved? Yeah, so, you know, if nobody knows, so, I, you know, I started my photography career really as a, like a rural photographer, did a lot of like the, I always call it the dark side of Ohio, a lot of fo- focused on, you know, uh, rural landscapes, barns, bar- old farmhouses, the, you know, that, that type of decay. And I was, um, I actually had a few people reach out to me, uh, Lydia Loveless actually being one of them years ago and said something along the lines of, you take really pretty pictures of Ohio. Would you ever have any interest in putting a person in those photos? And at the time, um, doing that rural photography was kind of my mental health break. So I had a pretty demanding nine to five job. Um, and so what I did, you know, to kind of get away from that is I would, you know, put on the music, I would take my camera with me and I would go on back roads and it was kind of my escape. It was for an hour, two, three, whatever I could get away with, you know, that's what I would do. Um, so when she reached out to me, I think my initial response back to her was no, because that really wasn't, I was like, that's not really what I do. It's not my thing. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so not only, you know, having the preconceived notion that I'm probably not going to be very good at it. Um, (laughs) it's also, you know, kind of cuts into, you know, my getaway. That's not really my thing. I, I always kind of joked and said, you know, I spend most of my days interacting with people, all day long, it was my one opportunity to not have to do that. Um, and, and I, if I remember correctly, I think she probably replied back and said, um, you know, are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) You know, would probably be my guess. Um, and so I, I reconsidered and I was like, all right, let's do this. And so I did some photos of her. And prior to that, I, um, taken some photos of BJ from American Aquarium and they were just okay. Like I just wasn't very good at it. I didn't really know uh, much about it. Uh, And it really wasn't until um, another podcaster, Sloan Spencer that uh, does country fried rock Mm -hmm. uh, 
several years ago, Sloan invited me down to do a schoolhouse show. She was doing a kind of like a house concert, but it was going to be at a school, old uh, one-room schoolhouse. And I'm also an artist, so she's like, why don't you bring your art down? You can show your art. Um, and Caleb Cottle is going to be the musician. And I was like, cool. oh, I'm actually a big fan of Caleb. That'll be pretty cool. And so uh, when I got down there, um, you know, uh, probably like a week before Caleb had reached out and said, Hey, do you want to do, would you like to do photos? And I said, yeah, I'd love to do that. And I like telling this story cause it, 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 it kind of like set, it kind of like sets the moment for me being very late in my career. You know, I didn't get a camera until I was about 40 years old mm-hmm. and I'm there with Caleb and I'm trying to make small talk. And I say something along the lines of who's your manager? And at the time, his manager was a guy named Andy Tennille. And he goes, do you know Andy? And I go, well, his name sounds really familiar to me, but I, I don't certainly don't know him personally. I go, should I? And he's like, well, he's Tom Petty's tour photographer. <laughs> and so it was that moment that I was like, oh, my God, what am I doing here? Why, why would you ask me to take photos of you if, if you have Andy available to you? Um, and so it was one of those moments where I was, I, it was like my scared straight moment. I'm like, oh my God, I need to figure this out. Like people are starting to trust me to take their photos and I really, I really need to know what I'm doing. So coincidentally, those photos turned out great. They were published a bunch and Caleb and I, you know, we remain friends today. That's so great. that's like a really, that, that's a long, intro, long-winded intro. But what ended up happening is I didn't know Americana Fest existed. I had no idea that it was that it was a, a festival, and so it was probably. I know I had this documented somewhere. I just don't have it in front of me. So it was probably like 2014 or 15. Mm-hmm. I heard about the festival, and my wife was like, "Oh, well, you should just go to it." And I'm like, "Well, it's it's like tomorrow <laughs> in Nashville," and I was living in Ohio, and she's like, "Yeah, yeah, you should just go." we'll figure it out. She's like, just go get a hotel room and figure it out. Wow. And so I just, I went to all of the, you know, non wristband events. Mm-hmm. And so as I had started, you know, doing photos with musicians, what I had started to notice is that a lot of their stories had many parallels. Like some of them had some traumatic stuff happen to them when they were younger. Some of them, had battled drug addiction. Some of them had battled alcoholism um, and, and other, other things along those lines. And it, it, at the same time, I was also dealing with, with my father, my father who uh, in the mid eighties had a couple back surgeries while I was in high school and got addicted to opioids, mm-hmm. which turned out to be an ongoing um, situ- I, I guess, yeah, situation that I dealt with for the remainder of my adult life until he passed away a few years ago. And what I really started to notice is that these stories existed, but you wouldn't, you weren't really hearing them. And at the time, you know, we, we fortunately today it's becoming a lot more accepted and maybe a lot more common. Um, I, I guess maybe a lot more open. It's probably a better way to say it. Right where people are starting to talk about mental health a little bit more and, and bringing it out into the, to the forefront. But there was a long time when it was taboo and, you know, still for a lot of people, it's taboo. Mm-hmm. 
but what I when I was having these, you know, these, you know, sometimes one hour with somebody, sometimes 10 minutes with somebody, sometimes six hours with somebody doing photos, there were so many of their stories that were similar. And since I was also battling with some stuff of, of my own with my father, I had decided that, hey, you know, it would be a really cool idea is if I could somehow get these people to talk and make it like a an art show that I would do. That that was the initial idea. I would do a I would do a portrait, and then they would do, tell me a story that they either had never told anybody, or a story that maybe they only told a small circle. Mm-hmm. And that went nowhere. And I pitched it to I mean absolutely nowhere. Um, <laughs> I, I pitched it to magazines. I pitched it to online publications and it just didn't do anything. And like some of the, you know, I'd become friends with quite a few mu- musicians and some of them had taken the approach that, you know, they're pretty private. And I was like, man, I'm just doing this all wrong. Like it felt like such a good idea. And about a year ago, I changed the way that I phrased the question. And instead of, you know, making it sound so secretive, I tried to phrase it in such a way that it opened up the possibilities for the answers. And it let it let the subject or my friends, uh, sometimes both, would then have the opportunity to kind of tell the story as they want. And the way that I changed it is I said, how has mental health played a role in your life? Mm. And that changed everything. Because it lets people talk about personal experiences or maybe something they dealt with with a parent or aunt or uncle or relative or friend. And it it really has changed the dynamics of the project for sure. Was that just from you workshopping, all right, what do I do next? Or were you soliciting like uh, opinions from maybe journalists or people about how to phrase it? How did that shift happen other than the clear, you know? the lack of success with the other approach. Uh, it, it truly was a um, fail upon fail upon fail upon fail until one day like that, that thought went through my head and I was like, Oh, well, what if I try this? Mm-hmm. And it just happened to work. Right. So I, 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 I you know, um, very bullheadedly did not consult with anybody, did not talk to any of my journalist <laughs> friends, but I do have. And, you know, I, I, I kind of, yeah, you know, and it, it was basically like, I'm like, I'm just going to keep running into this wall until <laughs> it finally cracks. Um, and, and luckily, you know, that at least that thought after several years popped into my head. Yeah. And then after that happened, everything kind of changed. Oh, wow. Um, it really, uh, more people were interested in the project. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, I didn't ra- really have any place to share it. Uh, but, I, but I knew I had a better handle on the concept and, and, the, uh, and the project. Right. The, are, are you just geared that way to run yourself into the wall repeatedly? Or is that something you developed over time? Like, how did you not, how did you persevere? Was it like, how did you, uh, up, you know what I mean? Cause eventually a lot of times, even if it's the best idea, a lot of folks give up on those things. What allows you to, to persevere there and keep pushing? So, so I, I think what helps is that I tend to have a lot of sticks in the fire or whatever the appropriate phraseology is for that. Um, but 
so I, I always have a lot of stuff going on. I don't sit very well. So I'm always trying to come up with another project. Mm-hmm. So from the time that I, you know, from, from that concept of this series five years ago or whatever it was, or four or five years ago, whatever it was now, you know, I probably had done 30 art shows in that amount of time. And I'd probably shot, you know, who knows how many, a hundred or so concerts in that amount of time. So I didn't lack a creative outlet. I didn't lack, you know, um, any opportunity to, to have, um, my brain working and, and, you know, keep myself moving forward. But I always kept coming back to that project. And, you know, there was a handful of people that I had confided in about the project and they were kind of like me. They're like, this is going to work. Like, this is a great concept. It's going to work. But nobody, nobody came to me with like that, light, you know, that proverbial light bulb over their head and said, I've got an idea. Yeah. Um, and instead, it was like, that's a really good idea. I don't get it either. And then, you know, finally, finally it, it, you know, I kind of cracked the code, I guess. And, uh, and here we are. That's great, man. And, and when it, so now it's, it is published in no depression. So what did, like, was there a pitch there that, that finally got through? Was there a moment where you finally went, okay, shit, we're doing this. Yeah. So, so, I mean, here's the thing. People can bash on social, social media as much as they like. And I have fallen victim to that as well. Periodically I will go down the, the rabbit hole and, and uh, on both Facebook and Twitter. And so I, I usually try to do my, my best to, to stay afloat. But I actually had somebody, um, somebody had, had, that I knew had mentioned that they were going to meet somebody from No Depression uh, for dinner. And I was like, oh, well, that would be just one of those like mutual friends. He and I were, don't know each other personally, but we, we are friends on Facebook. And um, he goes, maybe I'll say something to him, you know, about, about that, the article, because I'd said that I, I had this series that I was working on. And he ended up talking to, hopefully I get this name right, I believe it's Adam Kerr, who's a marketing guy for no depression. And they said they talked about it and they ended up, uh, I got Adam's contact information and sent him a note. And first of all, Scott Vieth was the guy. So I want to make sure I said, say thank you to Scott. The guy runs an awesome, uh, house concert series. Um, I believe out of the Baltimore area and is incredibly kind and generous to musicians. So kudos to him and thank you again to him but he made the connection to, to, to Adam and Adam goes, I think this is a really good idea. I'm going to connect you with Hillary. And, uh, I believe Hillary is the editor for no depression or at least the senior editor and put me together. And she, and she and I spoke and she's like, Oh yeah. She's like, coincidentally, we're doing a wellness issue this fall. I think this will work perfectly. And so, you you know, it, it was one of those things where, you know, I, I, did I, did I run into the wall over and over and over? Yes. Um, conceptually, the, the series changed just a little bit. And there's no doubt that with the help of friends and truly with the help of timing, this came to light. Yeah. So I, I feel very, very fortunate that things lined up the way they did and, um, and that it's out there now. 
Well, I mean, speaking of BJ Barham, he just released a, a video of him playing one of his new tunes from the forthcoming record where uh, he said, I think the the chorus says, the harder you work, the luckier you get. So that sounds to me like a perfect example where you were chipping away at this idea. You knew it was a good idea, um, but you it, the things start to line up uh, when they're supposed to line up. I don't know if you if you're believe in that kind of thing uh, or not but i i have noticed that the the more i'm chipping away at I, an idea the better it gets and then when it's everything else starts to line up after i've kind of done the mucking and the the banging my head against the wall yeah i i think it's like if you're a writer right like so if you're a writer or a musician um very few people just knock a song out in three minutes you you, you hear those those outliers and, and the fun stories about people that make hits and it took them 10 minutes to write it. Yeah. But there are a lot of people that it's truly a craft. And I think it's kind of, you know, it can, that can be applied to several different parts of your life. And I, for me, it's always been the hustle. So I, I like the hustle. I like to get out there and do stuff. I like to shoot shows and talk to people and, and do that. And, but I also think that there's a timing component to it. And, and this was just one of those moments where the hustle was absolutely necessary Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to, to build that body of relationships that I now have in, in the music community. But it was also, it could not have been a, you know, a year ago, maybe this didn't make any sense to no depression. And, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, in periodically, or not periodically, but coincidentally, right now, it made perfect sense. Right. That's wonderful. The, the medium of portrait, um, does that enhance people's ability to open up when you're having that? say one hour session with them or is it more difficult to pull things out since you are taking a photo of someone that it it feels like could be a very intimate thing and then they're giving away a lot of themselves already it seems like yeah i mean so so that's a great question um and i've taken a little bit of a different approach with this because what i didn't want to do was put people in a position where i said hey come to my studio or some of these people even were at my house um, where I said, Hey, let, let, let me take a photo of you and then tell me a really deep story about mental health, you know, and how it affected your life. Yeah. I, I wasn't really sure that was probably the right approach. So, so the way I've been doing it is, you know, I, I've really gotten into portrait photography more over the last couple of years. And I've, certainly gotten better at it. I wouldn't say that I'm great at it, but I, I feel like I'm, I'm on the right track and I'm learning. And what I, what I have found to be, or at least what I have found to work for this series is that I do these portraits and then I go back to the person after I've done the portraits mm-hmm. and I say, Hey, I'm working on this series. This is the premise. Um, if you'd like to participate, I would love for that to happen. Um, certainly no obligation. And I am sending those messages and emails out daily. I sent probably five out yesterday. I sent three more out today. And it's kind of just people who are now um, in my portfolio that I've done photos with who I said, Hey, I probably mentioned this when we were doing photos, but now I'm following up. If you'd love to participate, that'd be great. And a lot of people have been fantastic about it and are very eager to participate. There are those who have chosen not to, and I 
fully, fully support their decision to do that. Um, and then there's a handful that are kind of uh, pumping the brakes uh, or kind of kind of getting a feel for what they want to do. And um, I wouldn't say they're non-committal; they're just not quite ready yet. And I and again, you know, I I appreciate that and can fully understand that those conversations should only happen when you're ready to have them. Of course. Yeah. And especially those public conversations like that. I mean, to put it out there is a lot. And I think it's interesting how musicians, artists of all types, right. But musicians specifically are putting themselves out there, emotionally putting themselves out there and making themselves vulnerable on an almost nightly basis. Um, so, but the, you still have to maintain a little bit of yourself, and so it is interesting how to, how musicians are able to balance that in their personal lives. Sometimes not so great, um, sometimes really well, uh, but also their public persona, um, because the public is kind of expecting their fans, at least, are expecting them to uh, contribute something emotionally in a certain way. Yeah, you know, I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but, you know, we'll go back to social media. And, you know, I, I'm uh, 47 years old now, I'll be 48 in December. And, you know, I, I grew up like a total metalhead. I don't <laughs> ever shy away from that. I mean, that's yeah. truly, you know, kind of how I grew up and still am for the most part. And I think of kind of the kind of what it was like growing up um, and how you the connections you had to artists in musicians. I mean, MTV was highly influential. I mean, that's, that's how you got to see what somebody looked like, or maybe you picked up hit parade or Rolling Stone or billboard or, you know, something like that where you could visually see or team beat or, you know, whatever, whatever it was, you know, that, that, that was out there, um, that let you visually see what these people look like. But social media has changed that, that, that paradigm, you know, it, it really has changed like where the artists, so much has changed. So the artists have become closer to their fans. I think they're able to communicate more freely with their fans if they choose to do so. Um, but the, but the music industry has changed also. Right. I mean, so it's, it's not the old days where you got a big, you know, a nice contract and, and you could live well off of that. You know, people are out there, you know, music probably makes up a pretty small percentage, you know, unless you're a huge artist of what, what folks um, are able to, to, to make. A lot of it is through kind of like building them th- those relationships and people buying merchandise and, mm-hmm. and touring. And so it's, it's incredibly important to keep those connections. But I think you're right, you know, back, back to, to what you said, it's also a balancing act. And ha- how do you do that? How do you put yourself out there so much? Mm-hmm. Um, I think mental health is, is, has, has to play a role in that where you really need some time off. Like, you know, I've got tons of friends that are out there touring, you know, 150, 200 days a year, you know, some, some more. And, you know, usually when they're home, their home. They don't try to, you know, they try not to do too much, too much else. They try to just be a human being and, you know, be with their kids or their family and, and do those types of things, which I think is, is absolutely necessary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thinking about the sustainability of, uh, of normalizing the conversation and thinking about sort of, um, what, something you said earlier, the story about your dad kind of made me think about how 
especially I, I'm 38. So growing up in that, like as a kid in the eighties and nineties, um, I definitely, and where I did in a small town in Florida, I definitely did not feel like the sort of broader conversation about mental health was normal. In my family, we did talk about it a lot, and I'm fortunate because I remember my father is an alcoholic, and I remember my my parents sitting me down when I was like at the precipice of adolescence and them wanting to get out ahead of it and knowing that, hey, we've got addicts throughout our family. We need to make sure he understands that there's a good chance he's predisposed to addiction and he needs to be aware of that before it becomes a temptation. And now I know that in hindsight, but I remember my response to my parents was uh, when they said that my father is an alcoholic. I had I did not remember ever seeing my dad have a drink. Um, I was too young when he quit to 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 remember it. And I remember them saying that he's an alcoholic, and my reaction being, "Well, that can't be true. Alcoholics are bad people." And dad's not a bad right. person. Like that was what my sixth grade brain or whatever it was processed because that's wherever I was getting those messages from, that's where those messages, that's how I was interpreting those messages. And thankfully we were able to talk about it as a family. But if I didn't have that core there, then that I would not have had that more normalized idea of mental health and the ability now, I, I mean, who knows what would have happened in the intermittent years, but like now I feel very comfortable. I talk about it on this show almost every time. Um, I talk about it with friends and family very openly about my own anxieties and, and, and bouts of depression and all of that kind of thing very openly. Um, but there wasn't a broader community conversation about that. And I wonder if you have thoughts about like, how do we take something like this project that you've, embarked on and make kind of bigger waves yeah so I, i've got a long-winded answer and you know the first thing i'll i'll you know kind of relate to is the not knowing or not understanding and i can tell you that when i you know when when it was brought when i found out my dad was a drug addict um I can remember my stepmother having that conversation with me. We, we, we were not a family that did talk a lot about any of that stuff. We, I would say that we probably avoided those conversations uh, at all costs, not intentionally. It just really wasn't something that we ever talked about. It just, we didn't have that kind of an open an openness, I would say, to conversations growing up, at, at least to, to deal with those kind of, kind of topics. Yeah. And I came home memory serves me right. I think I came home like maybe from college, maybe my sophomore year or something like that. And she let me know, you know, about my dad. And I can remember just being so incredibly confused thinking a drug addict, like what? Like a drug addict is, is, is like the guy you see on TV. I mean, I grew up in super rural Ohio, you know, 1800 people, small town. And I was like, drug addict. We didn't know what a drug addict was, except you know, like on a television show or in a movie, like you didn't know what that really meant. So when I, it took me a really long time to comprehend what that meant and understand what was going on. And it took me years, you know, to kind of work through that and, and, and figure that out. So I can tell, I I would say that, yes, you know, 
based on what my experience was, based on what it sounds like kind of your level of knowledge was also, um, let's hope that whatever we're doing today as either parents, friends, aunts, uncles, that we're, that we're changing that conversation and, and kind of leading back into this project. Um, to answer that part of the question, I can remember, so I have, I have three children and the two, my two boys are in the teen, they're teenagers and, and, um, and my daughter is almost 12 and several weeks ago we were like at the dinner table or something and they said, why did you do this project? You know, just, because I think the mag, maybe the magazine had just come out or something and they, they saw it and they were like, what, why, why did you do this project? And I said, here's the thing. We do some weird stuff in America. I go, I go, the way that we approach healthcare is curious at best. Mm-hmm. And especially when it comes to something like mental health, mm-hmm. I go, so I go, let me give you an example. If you twisted your ankle, you'd go see a doctor. If you, um, you know, if you stubbed your toe, you'd go see your doc, you know, go see a doctor. If you got poked in the eye, you'd go see your doctor. But if something wasn't quite right in your brain, there's like, people don't know what to do. There's still such a, I think that there's such a feeling of shame and weakness and people being scared. Um, and I'm sure there's probably a laundry list of other, you know, feelings and emotions that people have, but we haven't made that conversation so normal that, that it's the same as twisting your ankle. And I think that's where we want to get. We want to be able to say, I twisted my ankle. I'm going to go see a doctor. Something's, you know, I'm having dark thoughts or I don't feel very well or, or, you know, something else is going on or there's, I need to talk to somebody. I'm going to go see the doctor mm-hmm. and we need to be able, I, my real goal is to when, what, what, you know, the, the, the tagline is normalizing the conversation around mental health. And what I really want to show people is I think there's also people that feel very alone, right? They feel very, vulnerable and they feel like they're the only person who's feeling these feelings and nobody else would understand. So I want to try to get these stories out there and I want to get as many different stories out there as I possibly can. And I want it to be people that people know. Mm -hmm. I want it to be people that maybe they can relate to or people um, that they go to listen, play music or people that they uh, by their art or, you know, wh- whatever, or, or maybe it's a poet. I mean, wh- I want, I want to talk to all those people because I want people in those circles to say, it's not just me. Yeah. There are other people feeling the same thing. I'm not alone. It's, 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 I know something's wrong. I need to go get help. And so-and-so did it. So maybe it's okay for me too. Right. And if, if, you know, if, if we can just help one or two people, I think it'll be a huge thing. And if we can help more, um, even better. That's, that's so wonderful. So long-term vision in terms of, um, pardon me, part, uh, the ongoing process. Um, are you going to look to continue to publish this um, in this same way? Or do you have a sense of what the long-term vision looks like? Yeah. You know, so I, I don't know the answer. Um, 
no depression. We've not really had any conversations about moving forward with the project. I mean, the timeliness of this just happened to work perfectly for their wellness issue. I don't know if it makes sense for them, um, you know, in the future. And I can, you know, I can appreciate that. Um, so there's, there's like two things. I, 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 they're also a quarterly publication, you know, so I, I'm not, wouldn't be able to get those stories out quite as frequently as I probably would like to. So the intent today is one, I'm so incredibly grateful to no depression. I want to make sure that that's perfectly clear because they, they were the group that, that really, you know, took this and said, okay, this makes sense. We're going to do this. And so I'm, I'm couldn't be happier that that's, that's, that's how that's played out. Mm-hmm. But for the future, I would like to find some type of ongoing either publication or some medium for me to be able to continue to get that message out on a regular basis. Um, and I have gone ahead and I've started posting it on my, my Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and I'm cow town, Chad, like the farm animal cow. Mm-hmm. So cow town, Chad. And I've started putting that stuff on there um, this week and I had permission from no depression to reprint the Steve Polt story. So that one's out there as well. And I have a lot of people who volunteered to, to keep this going. So I want to keep it going uh, at a minimum on social media. So I want to make sure that those stories are at least getting out there that way. If there was a, you know, a mental health group um, that, that had a substantial reach, I would be more than happy to talk to them. If it was a, you know, a large publication that came out maybe on a, weekly, bi-weekly, monthly basis, something like that, that would be a great fit as well. And maybe there's even a great online presence somewhere. Um, that might be a good fit, of, good fit too. And, and I would just say that I'm open. I'm completely open to having conversations with multiple people. Um, but I definitely want to keep the series going. That's awesome, man. Um, yeah. And then it, whatever we can do, what, if it's something that on marinadepodcast.com that you want to publish or um, – uh, some way I can get involved if there's something that I can do with the podcast. I'm a big believer in this project and, uh, that, that f- our forum is wide open to you. However we can help spread the word or however we can help be a part of this. I really appreciate that. And I know that you, you, you are always has been, have been incredibly kind, um, on the, so- on social media. And so if you continue to, you know, you and anybody that listens to the podcast wants to, share or retweet any of those stories. You can find me at that Caltown Chad moniker on Facebook as well as Instagram and Twitter, uh, even on Tumblr, even though I don't use that very much, but I do have all of those, those out there. So, um, any help would be appreciated. That's awesome, man. And for the folks listening at home, uh, the Caltown Chad.com, uh, on Chad's website, you can also get some of his gorgeous prints, um, there as well. Perfect. Thank you. Dude, this has been so much fun. I so greatly appreciate your time and and what you're working on. I really appreciate it. And thank you so much for reaching out. And uh, I hope we cross paths sometime soon. Absolutely. I'd love to do this in person and and talk about process even deeper next time. Absolutely. Thanks, thanks, Chad. Cheers, man. All right. Thanks. Have a great day. Thanks. You too. Bye. Maybe it was fall 
Heard this story many times, I don't remember it at all tonight. The wind sharp as a razor, and the sky looks like a I'm stranded in Los Feliz, trembling with the lithium blue. Chad Cochran, y'all, thank you so much, Chad, for your time and your openness. Let's do this again one day, sir. Thank you all for listening. If you like what you're hearing, give us a rating and a follow on your podcast app. Also, follow us on social media. Uh, I don't promise to be as good a follow as Cowtown Chad, but we do interact a lot with fans of the show, all of whom feel like friends at this point. Yeah, head on over to marinadepodcast.com for more marinade, including my own photography, written pieces, and, and so much more, including those website-exclusive episodes, 10 of which we've already published and several more which are on the way. If you really like what we're doing, consider joining our Patreon community. For just a few bucks a month, you can enjoy Patreon-exclusive content like our show Jason's Journey, where I discuss the moments that have shaped my creative life, including behind-the-scenes looks at the marinade and all the things that come with it. All right, y'all, it's time for what I'm getting down on this segment of the show where I talk about the art that is inspiring me at the moment. Brian Koppelman, who, as you may know, is one of my greatest creative heroes, tweeted some podcast recommendations recently, one of which was the show Sound Opinions. I listened to the episode and uh, the one that focused on the legendary Stax Records in Memphis. Uh, A few years ago, I took a group of eighth graders to Memphis um, it's kind of a, a civil rights pilgrimage that we took. Um, and one of the stops was stacks and I fell deep down into the stacks rabbit hole thereafter. Well, I kind of got away from it for a little while. Um, and this episode focuses on, I got away from it for a little while. And this folk, this episode of sound opinions focused on, um, on the MGs, Booker T and the MGs and the bar case, the two session bands that back so many great, Stacks records. Uh, the most inspiring thing for me, even though this particular episode focused on bass, um, was listening to the guitar tones and just thinking about how they might make sense in my own music. Um, you know, it's interesting how I'll get hooked on a particular genre, um, and I, t- I try to listen to diverse. Um, well, I try to diversify just about any art I'm consuming, but especially music, because uh, I don't want to get locked into one idea. Uh, both for my own edification and and then also just for um, for for the influence that it has on the music that that I create, um, and so it was cool to hear some of the guitar tones on those old Stax records. Uh, I'm not there yet. I'm not creating that kind of kind of sound with my own work, but uh, it's fun to to kind of play around with it and think about it in that way. Um, and, and it also just made me think about how much I love Memphis. Uh, if you haven't been there, make your way there. Just an incredible town. Um, and with so much history, especially musically. Thank you all so much for listening. I'm so grateful for, for this conversation. Until next time, go out and create something. Cheers, y'all. <laughs>